Man, this, I see a bunch of them right here. We've got them serving in the back. You've seen them serving on the way in. And it's so great to see our students not just waiting to serve God when they're older, but they're serving God now where they are. And it's an awesome thing to see. We love you guys. We believe in you. So proud of you. And this morning, we have a, another special treat. Pastor Jimmy, like Sydney said, is going to be bringing the word in just a moment. And I just want to give some love and honor to him. I've known Pastor Jimmy since I was zero. All right, we go, we go way back. Um, I love him and I honor him so much. Um, he provides oversight for our church. He is Pastor Josh's father. Pastor Josh can't be here this morning because he is in Israel. We got a picture right here. He's uh, on the southern stairs uh, overlooking these uh, recently uncovered mikvahs, which are baptisms in the Hebrew culture. They were called mikvahs. And um, just looks like he's having an amazing time. I know when he gets back, he's gonna be spitting fire, people. So you better be ready. Fasten your seatbelts when he gets back. But again, this morning, we have a very special treat. Pastor Jimmy's in the house. Can we stand to our feet and honor and appreciate and show some love to Pastor Jimmy? All right. Good morning. So as they just told you, I am, you know, I actually had an introduction written here. You know, good morning. I'm Jimmy, one of the overseers, you know, but more importantly, I'm one of, I'm Joshua's brother. <laughs> but they took that from me. So actually, I only wish that part in age because I'm actually proud to be his father. I really am proud to be his father. And authentic church desires very much to be authentic, you know, being real, being true. And to be what God desires us to be. And please do go to Grove Track uh, and learn about it. And become a part of something that's happening. Become a part of something that's happening. Now, I, many of you may not know, but in our family, names have a very special meaning. There has to be an intimacy to the name. And Joshua's name was, uh, you know, wasn't a hard one to come up with. Now, Jets, that was a hard one to come up with. Uh, because, you know, there were 16 years difference between Josh and Jet. You know, maybe you caught that or not. So couldn't, you know, all our names, I don't know if you caught it or not, all our names are JLM, our initials. Now, Jeannie and I was coincidence, but the kids were on purpose. So it's, you know, James Leslie, Jeannie Lynn, Joshua Lael, Jamie Larissa, and Jet Logan. Now, Jet's name was, uh, you know, that's kind of hard to come up with. Because uh, does anybody know what Jet means? To put in motion. And man, did he put things in motion. <laughs> but Joshua's name was easy. Because you see, there was a story uh, about Joshua. And it's, it really is empowering to me. You know, Moses was up at the top of the mountain in the presence and the glory of God. And there was the people down below. And there was poor Joshua stuck in the middle. You know, not in the powerful presence of God. Not with the group. All by himself. But hanging it tough and staying faithful. And that's why I'm very proud of Joshua, because he is a faithful individual. He really is. And he hangs in there, and then he, got, you know, he goes with it. Now, i got to admit, I hope to why you this morning. Not me. I might underwhelm you. <laughs> but with this amazing, epic novel we call the Bible. And all these amazing stories that help us to learn to live a fulfilled life. And that's kind of what we want to look at this morning because you see these experiences encounters that these folks had teach us how to make it through life and that's one thing we're going to be talking about life it's going to be some videos here but here's going to be the first one right now
If you've ever heard the phrase, the Holy Spirit, and you want to know what it means, where do you start? Well, you have to start on page one of the Bible, where the uncreated world is depicted as this dark, chaotic place, but then above the chaos, God's Spirit is there, hovering, ready to bring about life and order and beauty. Okay, but... What is God's Spirit? Yeah, so the Spirit is the way the biblical authors talk about God's personal presence. The Hebrew word is ruach. Ruach. Yeah, you got to clear your throat at the end. So what is it? Well, ruach can refer to a number of different things, but what they all have in common is energy. Energy? How so? So there's an invisible energy that makes the clouds move or the tree branches sway. Right. Wind. So in Hebrew, that's ruach. Okay. Now take a big breath. <sighs> So you feel that inside you? Yeah, the air? Well, specifically the energy, right? The vitality in your body that you get from breathing deeply, that too is ruach. And this is the same word used in the Bible to describe God's personal presence. Just like wind and breath are invisible, God's spirit is invisible. Wind is powerful, and so God's spirit is powerful. And just as breath keeps us alive, so God's spirit sustains all of life. Yeah, ruach. Now, as we continue on in the story of the Bible, we see God's Ruach giving special empowerment to people for specific tasks. The first person in the Bible this happens to is Joseph. God's Spirit enables him to understand and interpret dreams. And then it happens to this guy named Bezalel, and he's an artist. God's Spirit empowers him with wisdom and skills. He's given creative genius to make beautiful things in the tabernacle. And we also see God's Ruach empower a group of people called the prophets. They're able to see what's happening in history from God's point of view. That's exactly right. And here's the problem as the prophets saw it. While God's Ruach had created a really good world, humans have given in to evil. They've unleashed chaos into it through their injustice. A new type of disorder. Yes, and the prophet said the spirit would come, just like in Genesis 1, but now to transform the human heart, to empower people to truly love God and others. How will this new act of God's spirit happen? Well, centuries pass, and we are introduced to Jesus. And at the beginning of his mission, there's this beautiful scene where Jesus is being baptized in the waters of the Jordan River. Yeah, the sky opens up, and God's Spirit comes and rests on him like a bird. The story is saying that God's Spirit is empowering Jesus to begin the new creation. And we see this happening when he heals people or forgives their sins. He's creating life where there once was death. Now... Israel's religious leaders oppose Jesus, and they eventually have him killed. But even here, God's spirit is at work. The earliest disciples of Jesus, who saw him alive from the dead, said it was God's energizing spirit that raised Jesus. This is the beginning of new creation. Yes, and it's still going. When Jesus appeared to his closest followers, he breathed on them and said, Receive the Holy Spirit. And soon after that, the Spirit powerfully comes on all of his disciples. So that they can become a part of this new creation and share the good news and learn how to live by the energy and influence of God's Spirit. And so today, the Spirit is still hovering in dark places. Yes, pointing people to Jesus, transforming and empowering them so they can love God and others. And the Christian hope is that the Spirit is going to finish the job. The story of the Bible ends with a vision of a new humanity living in a new world that's permeated with God's love and life-giving spirit. Can you say, Ruach? You got to put some spit in your throat there. Ruach. 
So, and yes, and that's the thing. Now, we're going to go to Genesis 1-1. Now, when Joshua was named, as I was telling you before, that's before I really had an appreciation and, and knew some Hebrew. Uh, but I did know some Hebrew back then, and you folks all know Hebrew. Amen. Hallelujah. Abracadabra. You didn't know abracadabra was Hebrew, did you? It really is. It means to make something out of nothing. And it really is a Hebrew word. But rock, we're talking about the Holy Spirit. And we're going to talk to the Holy Spirit. We're going to cover it from Genesis to Revelations in this short period of time right now. You're going to find in Genesis 1, in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. The earth was formless and empty and darkness covered the deep waters. And the Spirit of God was hovering over the surface of the waters. Now, I'm going to read that to you with some Hebrew in it. And the reason I'm going to do this is because I want to tie the words together. In the beginning, Elohim created Hashemayim and Hyaretz. And the earth was tohu vavohu, and darkness was upon the face of the deep, and the rock Elohim was hovering upon the face of the waters. Rock. And so you see that's kind of a cool thing. And the word Elohim, too, is kind of a cool thing. Uh, Do you realize Elohim is a plural word? It's actually a uniplural word. Uh, I am on a Hebrew word is like S to an English word. So El is God. Elohim is plural. But it's a uniplural. There's another uniplural. It's called Mayim. How many of you know what Mayim is? I was, I was hoping you would. I, that makes me sound smart. No, I'm not smart. But just the education. Mayim is water. And guess what? It's a uniplural. Now, here's the beautiful thing about it. And I want you to get the concept of it in that aspect. Water is water. It's not like water, water, water. But you see, anything that has majestic to it is given a plural to it. Because what's in plastic? Water. What's in wood? Water. Do you realize H2O is in everything? It's a compound you'll find in everything in creation. And so you see, that's the reason it's a uniplural. Because if you look at it, you're going to find that the verbs and the adverbs that go with it are singular. So it's not like that there's multiple waters. So the same thing's true about Elohim. Guess who is in everything? God. God is in everything. So when you hear that term Elohim, that's what it's trying to say is he's the creator. And you're always going to find Elohim in reference to creation. There's 70 names to God in Hebrew. And Elohim is one that's always in a reference to creation. So in the beginning, as we looked at the earth, guess what? The earth was... Tahu vavohu, which we looked at earlier was void, and tahu, you know, and it was chaos. But then the Spirit of God moved upon the chaos, and it brought shalom to it. Shalom does it, it gets translated peace, but it actually means peace and order. And so what God did is he took the chaos, and he brought order to it, and we have this great creation, and it was called tov which gets translated good, but it actually means perfect. And guess what? Each one of you are perfect too. You are, no, no. You hang with on that thought because we are perfect. We may not be precise, but we're perfect because tov means it was, it's working as it was created to work. If I brought up here a bunch of bananas to you, they wouldn't be the same in diameter. They wouldn't be the same in length. If I brought a blade of grass, you wouldn't be. But every single one of them is perfect because they are fulfilling the purpose they were created to do. And that was to nurture mammals, animals and human beings. And so it was working in that aspect. And I read that in Hebrew because I wanted you to see that. 
Because you see, the thing that God desired to do was to be tabernacled in relationship, in intimacy. And intimacy is not sexual. It can be in a one set aspect, but intimacy means to get to learn, to study, and to know. And that's what God does with us, and that's what we do with God. And that's the reason we walk in perfection, not preciseness, because we fall. But if we walk in perfection, then we walk with God. And holiness is one of the things we want to look at as we go on. So you see, there was a tabernacle. And this tabernacle uh, has, uh, let me see if I can get this thing. Hey, it does work. Okay. Because uh, I'm going to try to use this too. But a tabernacle was a, a plan that God put together with Moses. Because you see, the earth was a tabernacle in the beginning. And you're going to see that in the video at the end. And especially when we look at the tree of life and some of those aspects. But I want you to look at this tabernacle for a moment. And I want you to consider some things. This was called... Uh, I'm sorry, I did that. Can you bring that back, guys? There we go. <laughs> I hit the wrong button. So right around here is the curtains, and this was called the outer court, or is also called the court of the Gentiles. Now, the only difference between the tabernacle and the temple was one was temporary, one was permanent. And the reality of it is God wanted to stay in the tabernacle. He wanted to stay movable. But he honored David because David desired to build him a permanent place because David said, look, I've got this big palace, God, and you're out there living in a tent. But this tent is where God wanted to live because God wanted to live right here among the people. Because guess what the people are living in? What are they living in? It's easy, folks. Pictures right there. You're allowed to cheat. You can look at the book. It's an open book test. So what are they living in? Okay. So what's God living in? The tent. Because God always wants to live where we're at. Always wants to live where we're at. So you have this outer court and then you have this holy place and inside this holy place right in there is called the holy of holies and what you would find is especially at passover they would sacrifice the the uh, lamb and they would bring it the passover lamb and they would bring it in here and they would put the blood between the cherubims and then this god's presence would come down in there and their sins would be pushed ahead for another year and their sins were constantly pushed ahead until the fulfillment of jesus christ who became the ultimate passover lamb now, I want you to go and look at a verse here. So change it there. Uh, our ancestors. Now we're jumping into the Acts of the Apostles, Acts 7. And this is Stephen. At his, Stephen's giving them a history lesson. Okay. Stephen is summarizing Genesis up to the point that they're living in. This is when Stephen was stoned. But he says, our ancestors carried the tabernacle with them through the witness, or through the wilderness. It was constructed according to the plan God had shown to Moses. Years later, when Joshua led our ancestors in battle against the nations that God drove out of this land, the tabernacle was taken with them into their new territory, and it stayed there until the time of King David. And what did King David want to do? He wanted to put it in a permanent thing. David found favor with God and, and asked for the privilege of building a permanent temple for the God of Jacob, but it was Solomon who actually built it. However, the Most High doesn't live in temples made by human hands. The tabernacle was made by human hands. The temple was made by human hands. So what's Stephen getting around to? Because he's giving them a history lesson. If you read Acts 7, he goes, you know, from Genesis on. And now he's coming to this place and he's saying, this beautiful temple that we 
worship at and we dwell at isn't really where God planned to be. He wanted to work and live in a temple made without man's hands. So, made by human hands, as the prophets say, heaven is my throne and the earth is my footstool. Now he's going back to creation because that was meant to be a tabernacle too where God dwelt. Because what, who did Adam and Eve dwell with in the cool of the day? God. Because it was meant to be an intimate place where us and God communed. Could you build me a temple as God, as good as that? Asked the Lord. Could you build me such a resting place? Did my hands make both heaven and the earth? And that's what we're looking at in that aspect. So what is the temple made without man's hands that God wants to dwell in? Paul answers that question too. He answers it in 1 Corinthians 3.16 and also in 1 Corinthians 6.19. Don't you realize that all of you together, all of you together, are the temple of God and the Spirit of God lives in you. God will destroy anyone who destroys this temple for God's temple is holy and you are that temple. And then he says in 6, don't you realize that your body is a temple of the Holy Spirit who lives in you and was given to you by God? You do not belong to yourself for God bought you with a high price so you must honor God with your body. So what's made without man's hands that where God wants to dwell? Ah, thank you. It was an open book test, folks, I'm telling you. Don't get paranoid. You're going to pass it, okay? But you see, the thing is, this is where God wants to dwell because this is the temple where God really wants to dwell in. So we look at those things, and now let's look at something familiar. Now may the God of peace make you holy in every way, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless until our Lord Jesus Christ comes again. God will make this happen, for he who calls you is faithful. Now, I've got it down here, a little bit of Hebrew, too, because I want you to catch some words, and we're going to tie this all together, too, now. And now, Elohe, hi, shalom, holy, set you apart as kadashim, plural, and may your whole ruach and nefesh and bazaar be preserved without blame at the Beas HaMashiach, Adonehu Yahashua. Now, Yahashua is Jesus in Hebrew. Yeshua would be Jesus in uh, Aramaic. Nehemiah is the one who summons you to your kaira, your calling. He will do it. Now, I want you to catch some of those words because they become very valuable. Now, I used to struggle with this sermon because God gave this to me back in my seminary days. And, uh, and this is the reason I struggled with it. We'll come back to that because I see charts like this. When I first taught it, I talked about the body, soul, and spirit. Now, if you look at something here, and let me bring one of these. Uh, who's, who's the handsomest young person here that was... Whoever's the handsome, go ahead and stand up. All right, you're pointing out. Come on up. And he goes along with it too. Yeah, that's right. You got it, man. <laughs> so, thank. I want you to look at something similar here. Now, I'm going to go back for a moment. I probably shouldn't go back, but I probably messed it up. But I want you to look at this. I want you to see the similarity. The outer court, the holy place, the most holy place. I want you to look at something right here. Outer court. Holy place. And then inside, we'll talk a little later, holy of holies. And uh, if you want to have a... Here, hand me this chair there, man, will you? I don't want you to have stand the whole time. <laughs> then you might feel like, you know, you might have sacrifice like me. So go ahead and have a seat. That way you can sit down. You sit down and look handsome. Give him a big smile, man. <laughs> Thanks for... Uh... So we come to this, 
And now you're going to see things like this. So what I would use to describe is I would I tell you the laser here. Okay. I would go with the, the, the body, okay? Then I would go with the spirit, and then I would talk about the soul. And I broke it out when I was younger, the soul, because God spoke the world into existence, but he took his own hands down, formed man out of dusty earth, breathed the breath of life into man, and man became a living soul. Because there is a distinction between animals and us, because God made us to be his intimate creation. And he created creation to be our intimate creation. And so I did that, but then, you know, so then as I'm studying, then I find... <laughs> they're close then I find ones where soul and spirit are reversed I'm going okay and then I remember uh, talking to some people one time and they referred to a different hand like that and I thought okay well I don't know I guess it doesn't make any difference but you know then as I got to studying things and then you see charts like this you know body soul spirit and we can get really crazy in a lot of these things and I'm a type of person I hate it when we chart things down and we try to make things precise because things should be perfect, not precise. Things should work in relationship. We should work as we were created to work. Now, you see, I'm breaking down a difference. I know our English definition of perfect is almost the same as precise, but biblically it's not. Because tov, which should be translated perfection, means it's working as it was created to work. And so you see, when we falter and fail and stuff like that, we were created with a free will and a free choice. That's so going to happen. Doesn't, because we're not precise doesn't mean we're not perfect in God's eyes. Because, you see, when we walk in relationship with him, we're walking in perfection. And let me give you a little breakdown on holiness. You know, holiness kind of has a, a dual meaning to it. Holiness means kind of we look at it as being untouchable. And there is an aspect to God that is untouchable. But holiness in God's eyes means to be set apart. When God said, be ye holy for I am holy, what he was really saying is, look, I set myself apart to love you. And there's a scripture, there's not height, nor, nor depth, nor power, nor principality, nor things come, nor, you know, things present, or things to come that will separate you from my love. That's what God says. So what he's doing is he said, I'm setting myself apart to love you. And nothing's going to separate me from that. And what he's asking out of us when he says, I want you to be holy, what he's asking you is to set yourself apart to love him. If I fall down, if I trip up, if I fail, if I make a mistake, God, that's okay, I'm going to get back up, I'm going to still love you. And if you walk that aspect and you walk in that realm, you're walking in holiness. 113 days and God's going to send. If you walk. It's not what it means. What it means is make your life count. Because you've only, you know, you've only got this time period to live in. So make it count. That's what he's talking about in those aspects. So now, I actually find that it's kind of more like this. It's kind of where the body and the spirit kind of meet, and then in the middle of that, you get the soul. But then when you, and then this is another way we always looked at it, spirit, soul, and body is you, but I probably should have put it in a different order. But I found out that the word, the Hebrew word in translations, and folks realize we do lose some things in translations. I heard a man say one time, and at first I thought, you're crazy. But God took an imperfect book, called the Bible, to perfect an imperfect people. You know, and I was raised, you know, that you don't touch that thing, but reality of it is, it's an imperfect book. You know why it's an imperfect book? Because some kings can get twists and stuff in it, but the people in it were imperfect. I mean, you look at King David, a man after God's own heart, 
And you'll see a reason later on why he kind of did that. I mean, committed murder, lied, killed a guy, you know. Adultery, but he's a man of the guy's own heart. Why? Because he still looked at the way he loved and the way he forgave and the way he did things. But through his story, we learn to live life. And that's, of course, that's another message for another day. But nephes is the Hebrew word. And we're going to see a video here in a minute. So uh, nephes is translated sometimes soul, sometimes spirit. So nephes is the same thing. And then we have bazaar. Bazaar is the body. And basically what it's talking about is the skeleton, the body, which is the organs and the muscles, and the skin. So bazaar is what we walk around in. And actually you could call it the temple, per se, if you want. And the nephes is who we really are. Now I came across this story one time when I was in seminary. I was talking to a guy, and I said, you know, he was talking. He was, wasn't an atheist, but he's agnostic. And I was just trying to share with him. I said, okay, well, I said, well, think about it for a moment. I said, you know, pinch yourself. I said, you know, the, the pain and the, the feelings and the emotion, that's not a part of your body. I said, so there's something different. But he looked at me and said, well, yeah, my dog does that too. <laughs> yeah, you're right. <laughs> so I, I kind of went home for a little bit and felt sorry for myself and <laughs> figured out how, you know, I... Boy, the guy just embarrassed me. So then I got to look in, in the Bible. And then I got to realizing that there is a distinction between animals and us. And so I'll tie into that later. I'm going to let you sit for a minute, but I will bring you back up, okay? So with that, I want you to look at another video real quick, okay? For thousands of years, every morning and evening, Jewish people have prayed these well-known words as a way of expressing their devotion to God. They're called the Shema. Hear, O Israel, the Lord is our God, the Lord is one. And as for you, you shall love the Lord your God with all of your heart, with all of your soul, and with all of your strength. We're going to look at the word soul. The Hebrew word is nephesh. It occurs over 700 times in the Old Testament. The common English translation of this word is soul, and that's kind of unfortunate. Here's why. The English word soul comes with lots of baggage from ancient Greek philosophy. It's the idea that the soul is a non-physical, immortal essence of a person that's contained or trapped in their body to be released at death. It's a ghost in the machine kind of idea. This notion is totally foreign to the Bible. It's not at all what nephesh means in biblical Hebrew. The most basic meaning of nephesh is throat. Like when the Israelites are wandering in the wilderness, they're hungry and thirsty, and they say to God, we miss the cucumbers and melons we had in Egypt. Now our nephesh has dried up. Or when Joseph was hauled off into slavery in Egypt, his nephesh was put into iron shackles. But nephesh doesn't only mean throat. Since your whole life and body depend on what comes in and out of your throat, nephesh could also be used to refer to the whole person. Like in Genesis, there were 33 nephesh in Jacob's family, that is, 33 people. In the Torah, a murderer is called a nephesh slayer, and a kidnapper is called a nephesh thief. On the first pages of the Bible, both humans and animals are called a living nephesh, and if the life breath has left a human or animal, the nephesh remains. It's just called a dead nephesh, that is, a corpse. So, in the Bible, people don't have a nephesh. Rather, they are a nephesh, a living, breathing, physical being. 
Now that might surprise you because most people assume the Bible says the soul is what survives apart from the body after death. And while the biblical authors do have a concept of people existing after death waiting for their resurrection, they rarely talk about it. And when they do, they don't use the word nephesh. So even though nephesh is often translated as soul, the Hebrew word really refers to the whole human as a living physical organism. In fact, this is why biblical people can often use this word to refer to themselves. And it gets translated me or I. Like in Psalm 119, most translations read, let me live that I may praise you. In Hebrew, the poet literally says, let my nephesh live that it may praise you. By using nephesh, the poet emphasizes that their entire being, their life and their body offer thanks to God. In the Song of Songs, the young woman constantly refers to her lover as the one my nephesh loves. And of course, love isn't just an intellectual experience, it's an emotion that activates your whole body, your entire nephesh. This helps us understand the brilliance of other biblical poets who could combine multiple meanings of nephesh in one place. Like in Psalm 42, we read, as the deer pants for the water, so my nephesh pants after you. My nephesh thirsts for the living God. So on a physical level, your throat can be thirsty, like a deer's. But then that physical thirst can become a metaphor for how your whole physical being longs to know and be known by your creator. Which brings us all the way back to the Shema. To love God with all of your nephesh means to devote your whole physical existence to your creator, the one who granted us these amazing bodies in the first place. It's about offering your entire being with all of its capabilities and limitations in the effort to love God and to love your neighbor as yourself. And that's the Hebrew word for soul. Now, there's a couple reasons I'm using these uh, videos. As one is, I mean, if somebody can say it better than me, why don't I let them say it? <laughs> and the other thing is, I just, I want you to use them in the future. Bible projects, something, you know, everybody should be able to do a devotion. These things, as you can see, they're only four or five minutes long. And they're very informative in that aspect. So that's one of the reasons I throw them in there, too. But I kind of want you to, to look at these things. And I want you to consider some things. I don't know how I got back. So... We're going to bring up uh, our young man again here. Because I'm hoping by sharing with you, you can figure out how we can really be uh, guiding people. You've you got to stand this time. Okay. And we talked about the outer temple or the outer court, okay? Uh, the temple, the outer court. Now, the way that this thing communicates has five senses. It has... I didn't touch his lips there, see? <laughs> and so that's the way the body correlates. And you see, the body takes in everything. Just like even, you know, Jew or Gentile could go into that outer court. Anybody could go into that outer court of the tabernacle or the temple. And it's just like our body. It takes in everything. And you see, there's, to our personality, to our being, these correlate. These are kind of gates in. Because the eyes correlate, and they're the gates to our imagination. The ears are the gate or the door to our memory. Our, you know, our taste is the correlation to our conscience. You're like, mm, mom, that steak was good. Oh, that sauerkraut was terrible. Ugh. Oh, the house smells like cabbage. <laughs> now, some of you may like cabbage. That's fine. And I eat sauerkraut a little bit. 
But then that's how it's a gateway to that. And our smell is a gateway to our conscience. You know, like, whoa, it's a skunk in the area. Avoid the land. Well, the person next to me let gas. <laughs> Wonder if I can walk out. <laughs> I'm sorry. <laughs> I just thought of what my uncle used to tell me. He said, you don't have to worry about the loud ones. They bounce around. It's the silent ones are the killers because they soak through. But <laughs> so I, that was probably TMI, but <laughs> it just came to my mind when he was talking about that. But so you see, we have this. And so the things that you read, the things that you look at, become your imagination. The things that you hear become your memory. So, you know, if you're hearing junk music about suicide and murder and you, you're seeing pornography and you're seeing ungodliness and, you know, and you're, you're hearing these kind of things, that's what your imagination becomes. That's what your, your conscience gets seared. And then your affections, that's the reason you can't reach out with true affections. That's the reason your marriage kind of falls apart because you don't know how to really reach out with affection. But if you take in Bach, Beethoven, and, you know, you always read, you know, good novels and decent novels, you can become a basically good person because you take in all these things. And that's basically how you're controlled in this life unless you decide to walk with God. Then if you decide to walk with God and you let that veil be rent. So let's look at it for a moment. Let's go back real quickly to the tabernacle. When Jesus was crucified, it became dark. People had resurrected. That was God's or Jesus' first fruits. But what happened in the temple? The curtain tore, the veil was rent. That veil was a hand span thick. It wasn't like a wedding veil or something like that, you see. It was a hand span thick. Material, stood upon material, upon material. And had gold threads going through it. Making, you know, the signs of the heavens. Because you see, that's our will. And when we come to Jesus Christ and we allow our will to be broken... Guess what can affect our holy of holies? That's when God's Holy Spirit can move in. The Holy Spirit is just God in action. It's what it is. And when the Holy Spirit comes in, now are we not just influenced from the outside in. We're influenced from the inside out. And that's what makes the thing beautiful. I don't see the counterpart. I don't want to go over time. Are we hanging in there? Because I want to. Be respectful of that. But I want you to realize something, that when we receive the Holy Spirit, no longer are we doing those things. And thanks, I appreciate what you've been doing. I want you to look at something real quick in the Hebrew. And it has a connection too. Ruach, there's the Hebrew spelling of it. There's nephesh in the Hebrew spelling of it. There's bazaar in the Hebrew spelling of it. And there's shalom in the spelling of it. Is there anything in these three that you see in common between the spirit, the body, and the soul? I kind of got different fonts there, but do you see a similar similarity? 
I'll give you a hint. It's the letter Sheen. See it? Oh, why do I have to go up there? See it? Sheen? Sheen? Sheen. Sheen is the root word for El Shaddai. Shaddai means guardian or protector of the doors. And a Teflon, which is right here, there is a box right there with scripture in it. There's also one on the hand here. The reason they wear it there is because we want God in our knowledge. We want God in our imagination. We want God in our thoughts, and they should come into our actions. But on the corner, on the, each side of this phylactery, is a sheen. This is a mezuzah on the front door of my house. Every mezuzah has this letter right here, sheen, on it. You put that at the front of your door, and there's ways you wear it, and basically all you do is whenever you enter your house, you touch it and you kiss your lips because you say the Word of God is powerful to me. The Word of God is what leads and guides my life. The sheen on there is it's because El Shaddai, the guardian of the doors or the entry or the portal. Do you see? I'm going to have you come up here for a moment again. <laughs> now, what were these five senses? These were the gates in the doorways to the memory, to the imagination, to the conscience, to the reasoning, to the affections. But if the Holy Spirit's living in your life, now that you're just influenced from the inside out, Guess who's going to be at the front of the door being the guardian to the doorways, to the ports? So you see, that's what God wants to do for us. Thanks, man. Appreciate it again. And so you see, the simplicity of it is the biggest demon you're feeling going to face, Satan gets too much credit. I'm going to tell you that right now. The biggest demon you're going to face is right here. It's going to be yourself. Because you see, there's the battle within between selfishness and selflessness. And there's a motive and a motivation to the things that you do and the reason that you do them. But with the Holy Spirit living within us and walking in this life, we can become more and more and more like Jesus. And you're going to find a comparison of Jesus and the Roman Caesars throughout the whole text. The Roman Caesars take things by power and authority and might. But how did Jesus take them? Through love and passion and compassion. And so you see, that's the way that we want to live because we want to allow the Holy Spirit to be alive in our lives. And so as we walk in this life, we need each other and we need God to walk in this life. And therefore, that's how we become overcomers. And we'll close out with this last video. The story of the Bible begins in a garden where God and humans live together. And the biblical authors want us to see this garden as a type of temple. The top is the most sacred place, the Holy of Holies, where God's presence is most intense. And that's where we find the Tree of Life. 
So, what's this tree all about? Well, it represents God's own life and creative power that is made available to others. In fact, God's first command is that humans eat from all of the trees, including this one. So you're ingesting God's own life. That sounds intense. Yeah, this meal transforms the one who eats it. Or in the words of the story, it leads to eternal life. Okay, but on the way to the tree of life, the humans have to pass by another tree called the tree of knowing good and bad. And God says that eating from this tree will kill you. How does it do that? Well, it represents taking the authority to do what is good in your own eyes. And when humans do that, it leads to broken relationships, violence, and death. And so here's the thing. Both trees look beautiful, but one of them is a false tree of life. And the humans take from this false tree of life. And they're exiled from the garden for good. Which raises the question, can anyone ever get back to the tree of life? Well, later on in the story, we meet a man named Moses, and he encounters God in a desert tree on top of a mountain. Oh, you mean the burning bush? Where Moses is told that he's standing on holy ground. Yeah, it's a plant on a mountain radiating with God's life and power, just like the tree of life. And God tells Moses, bring your people up to this mountain so we can form a partnership. And this partnership will force them to make a choice. Will they follow gods of their own making or receive life from the true God? And in this story, they give their allegiance to an idol. And it's just the first of many. The story goes on to show generation after generation choosing gods of their own making. And these idols were usually placed on tall hills like beautiful trees. But they're false trees of life that lead the people into self-destruction, exile, and death. It's like death's grip on us is too strong to resist. Is there any hope? Well, let's turn now to the story of Jesus. He came to announce that God's eternal life was available once again through him. So Jesus thinks of himself as the tree of life. Yes, this is what he meant when he claimed to be the vine that brings God's life into the world. And Jesus invited people to eat from him. Yeah, he was inviting people to trust him and be transformed by his life. But Jesus also exposed how corrupt humans are, how much they love false trees of life. And so Jesus presented people with a new choice between life or death. And this time, they don't just choose death. They also chose to attack the one who sustains all of life. Yes, Jesus is led up to the top of a hill where he dies upon a tree. The cross is the sad and violent result of humanity's desire to do what is good in our own eyes. The tree of life has been overcome by the power of death. Well, it seemed that way. But Jesus said that he was a seed of God's life that would die in the ground, but then grow into a plant that would bear much fruit. So to defeat death, Jesus went through it. And now this new tree of life stands before us all. We can eat from it, but it will mean passing through death like Jesus, allowing our old way of being human to die. So that a new humanity can grow in its place. Yes, Jesus said he is the vine and we are his branches. So not only do you eat from this tree, you're invited to become a part of it, helping produce its fruit so that his life and love can spread through us to others. And so the story of the Bible ends in a new garden, which is also a kind of temple with the tree of life at its center providing healing and life forever to all who choose to eat from it. So may we partake of the tree of life.
Jesus Christ. And you see, when you open up your soul and you allow it to be influenced from the inside, now I'll sing a song, a Sunday school song when I was a kid, maybe some, for the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, gentleness, goodness, faith, meekness, temperance, against such there is no law. And so you see that fruit of the Spirit, when you open it up, that's what filtrates through your body, and that's what changes it. Because, you see, we were meant to make the world a better place, a perfect place, not a precise place, everything the same, but with diversity and appreciation. And the soul is an intimate place where God created for us to commune with him in an intimate way, and we can become one with God. And I want to bless you with two twos. One is I want to bless you with confidence that you can walk in this life. Also, I wanted to bless you with inadequacies that you'll know that you need to walk with God and each other in humbleness. And then the other set of two blessings I'd like to give you is you version on your Bible app on your phone and Bible Project videos. You can YouTube them. Go on there and just YouTube Bible Project, seriously, and grow and walk with God. And that's the blessings for this day. Let's, let's sing and talk to God. And you can also uh, take communion, which is the body, the representation of the body, in the blood of Jesus Christ. And when you take this, realize that you're taken in Christ. So as we ask, what is the Holy Spirit saying to you? Let us take communion. And if you need, there'll be a prayer team back by the cross to pray with you. So the Lord bless you.